everybody. Welcome back to That's Insane, a podcast where I talk about murder, medicine, and maybe more. But most definitely more because there's a lot of weird shit out there. My name is Aurelia and I'm your host. And today we have a medical case or story or whatever for you. I'm sorry that this one is a little late. Um, Full intention to record and edit this yesterday before I went into work. I work the evening shifts, so I normally go in at like four or five and get off around quote unquote one. Anybody who works with me knows that I never actually leave at one. Um, But regardless, and I actually woke up yesterday at 8.30 to take my puppy out and had a text message from one of the docs at the urgent care that was like, hey, are you okay? And um, uh, that's when I knew I had fucked up. So I apparently was working the day shift yesterday at the urgent care. So all of my plans got a little messed up. And uh, uh, yeah, so here we are. And then today my little pup got spade and she is just a big puddle of sadness and fur so I've been kind of tending to her so I'm sorry that this is late but nonetheless it is being posted on a Tuesday so nobody can come at me anyway um today we have a uh, medical story which this one is really crazy again I think all of them are which is kind of the whole point of this podcast right but regardless today we are going to be talking about milk transfusions all of you lactose intolerant people turn this up because this one is for you guys um as always all of my show notes are going no wait all of my sources are going to be in the show notes because I always forget to list them so this way they're never forgotten um but yeah let's go ahead and just get into it and let's talk about some good old milk transfusions so as we know medicine has come a very very long way over the last couple hundred years and honestly significant the the most significant of that i think has happened really in the last 100 to 150 um but example a the discovery of blood types wasn't even made until 1901 when Carl Lantiner, I believe is how you say his last name, um, discovered why all these people were dying after receiving another person's blood. So this significantly improved the outcome of blood transfusions and provided a more safe process for doing so. Full disclosure, I had no like intention of making this semi-related to last week's Um Uh, medical case with Ryan White but I literally just have a list and I kind of go through and see like what sparks my interest so you know shout out to me for having consistency in the themes unintentionally prior to the discovery um, for a very brief time in the late 19th century another liquid was used as a substitute for blood transfusions and this was milk so that's right milk straight from the cow's teat milk into your blood Scientists at the time were convinced that the milk was a perfect substitute for the blood. So allegedly, um, Spanish conquistadors witnessed the Incas of Peru performing blood transfusions. And if this is true, then this would mark the earliest example in historical record for this type of procedure. However, the first known and for sure successful blood transfusion occurred long before, um, wait, no, not before. It occurred in the 17th century by Dr. Richard Lauer, who had developed a technique that allowed him to transfer blood blood without a lot of coagulating in the process. So he dem- he did this by demonstrating um, on a dog that he bled, sad face, um, and then he replaced that blood with the blood of a larger Mastiff dog who ended up dying in the process. Again, 
sad face. So other than this uh, like horrific assault on the dog, the receiving dog ended up recovering without any apparent illness. He did this by using a goose quill and he connected the like arteries or the veins from one dog to the other. So Dr. Lauer later transfused lamb blood into a mentally ill person with the hope that the lamb's gentle temperament would improve the man's sanity. But even though he survived, he shockingly was still very mentally ill. Um, so in 1667, John Baptiste Denis transfused blood from a sheep to a 15-year-old boy, and he also did this with a laborer, and they both ended up surviving. The boy apparently had undergone like 20 bloodlettings as a treatment for a fever, which, as we know, was like a dominant medical procedure at the time, and it was considered like standard procedure for moving impurities in the body, which is just so nuts to think about. Like, can you imagine being sick, like feeling like shit, and then they're like, let's drain you of the thing keeping you alive. Um, Thank God that's done. So John Baptiste and others chose not to transfuse human to human blood since the transfusions often ended up killing the donor. So even though they had success initially, this was likely due to the small quantity of blood being transfused as later transfusions often didn't have such good endings. And I'm assuming that's because they were using larger amounts. Um, or also because there was no screening process and they were giving incompatible blood. But regardless, um, in fact, John Baptiste was responsible for the death of a Swedish baron, Gustav Bond, as well as a mentally ill man named Antoine uh, Mauroy. So you see, they believed that not only could the blood transfusions improve health and remove disease, but also hopefully change the recipient's personalities and remove madness. If only, you know. So eventually these practices were condemned by the Royal Society um, and the French government as well as the Vatican by 1670. After this, blood transfusions and research stopped um, for about 150 years until a very brief revival in the early 19th century. This revival occurred when Dr. James Blundell, an obstetrician, performed a transfusion using a syringe with defibrinated blood, which is blood without fibrin, which is one of those clotting factors that we kind of briefly discussed last week on the Ryan White case. Um, so Dr. Blundell used the patient's husband's blood. Uh, it was She had like a postpartum hemorrhage. So he used the husband's blood, which he had extracted, about four ounces, and then he used a syringe and injected it into the wife's veins, which was shockingly successful. In a five-year period, he performs a total of 10 transfusions, five of which were successful, and then he published these. So, however, since there was really no progress for so long, many of the same issues like preventing the coagulation during the process and, of course, the unfortunate death of both the donor and the recipient from these transfusions continued. So by the mid-19th century, physicians thought that they had found a solution to these issues and the blood's difficult characteristics that made transfusing it so hard. They were like, let's not use blood, let's just use milk. So basically they were like, blood is too difficult and instead of trying to find out why, we're just going to find out find something different, something that's literally not even human. So the first injection of milk into a human happened in Toronto in 1854 by Dr. James Beauville and Dr. Edwin Hodder during a cholera epidemic. The milk uh, was passed through gauze, like, you know, thank God, and uh, it was kept in a warm bowl. 
which is super yummy sounding. Um, these two believe that the oil and fat particles in milk would eventually just form into white corpuscles, um, aka white blood cells. And Dr. Boville and Dr. Hodder believe that the milk would help regenerate these white blood cells by that process that I just described. Their first patient was a 40-year-old man whom they had injected 12 ounces of cow's milk, which astonishingly worked fairly well in this case. However, the next five times that they attempted this, the patients did die. So not great odds. But even with these poor outcomes, milk transfusions became a very popular method of treating the sick, mostly in North America. And it was pretty quickly assumed a safe and legitimate substitute for blood, which is crazy because literally 99% of the people are dying from it. But I don't know. Most of the patients were sick with tuberculosis, and after receiving blood transfusions, they would have complaints of like chest pain, headaches, and nystagmus, which nystagmus is when your eyes like involuntarily move or jerk, if you will. So one of the more common ones are like vertical and horizontal nystagmus. So basically your eyes, like it kind of looks like a... um one of those clock you know like the cat clocks where their tail moves and their eyes like move back and forth it's kind of like that but it's faster and involuntary anyway um so few survived these transfusions and most fell comatose and died soon after these uh transfusions so one doctor dr tg thomas transfused milk into a woman suffering from a uterine hemorrhage Another doctor, Dr. William Pepper, continued to stay optimistic about the use of milk for these transfusions, even when his patients complained of these headaches and fevers and renal issues after the transfusions. Again, another doctor, Dr. J.S. Prout, suggested that there was a medical legal use for milk transfusions, saying that it might help prolong an assault victim's life long enough for them to identify their assailant. So he was like, I, it's probably not going to save their life, but it'll at least keep them long enough that we can find out like who did it to them which is wild. So Dr. Joseph Howe then also decided to jump on the milk train, and in 1873, he transfused 1.5 ounces of goat's milk into a tuberculosis patient who then soon suffered from very severe vertigo, chest pain, and nystagmus. So of course, Dr. Howe was like, well, you know what? He What he really needs is more milk. So we're going to double the dose. And so when they did that, the patient very quickly died. Sadly, um, most of these medical treatments are tested on animals before being tested on humans. However, the milk transfusions were actually reversed. Now, he says this. This is what the article said. But then when I read through it, it was like it kind of doesn't sound that way. But bear with me. So Dr. Joseph Howe decided to perform an experiment to see whether it was the milk or something else causing these poor outcomes. So he bled several dogs until they passed out. And then he attempted to resuscitate them using milk. But sadly, all of these dogs died. So Dr. Howe conducted another experiment, believing that the milk itself wasn't the cause of the dog's death, but instead it was just merely the large amount of milk he'd given. That should have been your first red flag. First hard stop. So um, so what he did was he collected three ounces of human milk, which I think the article meant human blood because otherwise it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But he collected three ounces of human blood um, to see if the animal milk was incompatible with the human blood. So then he transfused this into a woman with lung disease who then quickly stopped breathing very soon after her milk injection. Um, But he was able to resuscitate her with injections of morphine and whiskey. Again, this doesn't... I, I I don't know if the article just like messed up because that doesn't sound correct. Like... To me, it would make sense if he collected three ounces of the human blood, 
and then put the human milk in it or i'm sorry the the cow's milk in it to see like if it would mix okay but i think that what they're saying here is that he mixed the the blood and the milk outside of the body and then injected it into the body and then she didn't do well so then he gave her morphine and whiskey and apparently this worked but then she only lived for about 10 days after her operation So fortunately, by 1884, the use of milk as a blood substitute had been thoroughly disproven. By the mid-1880s to late 1880s, saline infusions had replaced milk as a substitute, and by the turn of the century, we discovered the first three blood types, and we'd also discovered a safe and more effective way of transfusing blood. Of course, today, blood transfusions is a very well-practiced and standard medical procedure. As we know from the Ryan White case, there's significant screening and testing um, and rigorous uh, procedures that go into blood transfusions now and these save lives and often give uh, they're often given to those who suffer from severe blood loss whether it's through like trauma or childbirth surgical procedures or medical conditions like cancer um, kidney failure hemophilia things like that and thank god none of us are having milk transfused into our bodies and that's really all I got today. That is that is the history of milk transfusions with a very brief overview of just regular blood transfusions. And uh, thank God that that's not what's happening anymore. I can't imagine looking at a patient and being like, you know what, all of these things have failed, so I'm going to go down to the cafeteria and get some milk, and we're going to try this. Um, I don't know. You know, that's what science is, though. You, you trial and error, but I feel like they really, really, really wanted this work and it very clearly from the start was not so regardless no more milk transfusions we got good old blood transfusions i also saw in one article um that they were like they said something about how you know milk transfusions didn't work so we're just gonna have to stick with like artificial transfusions like artificial blood and i'm just like what the fuck are you talking about like we literally pull blood from other humans and then put it into humans. Like, it's pretty much as organic and, like, non-synthetic as you could get. People be wildin'. But anyway, so we're just going to keep it short and sweet today. Um, thank you guys for listening. As always, make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review. Share this podcast with others. Don't be stingy with it. Share the love. You can always send uh, true crime cases, weird medical cases, or just weird shit in general, whether it's just things you've heard of or things that happen to you personally. You can send those to that's insane podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Facebook at That's Insane Podcast, um, and then also follow me on Instagram under That's Insane underscore pod, where I post photos and stuff about these cases. I'm also on TikTok under Aurelia May Makeup, where I do... Uh, where I, I do these stories while I I tell these stories while I do my makeup. So if that's something that you're interested in, then certainly hop over onto TikTok and give me a follow. But otherwise, that's all I got for you. Until next time, bye.